So joining our series as part of this episode is John Hughes, founder of the John Hughes Automotive Group, one of the largest private companies here in Perth, 500 staff, 2,000 vehicles sold per month retail, I think another 500 or so sold per month wholesale. You were born, if I'm not mistaken, 1935 in Fremantle. Tell us a little bit about your, your early life, if you could. Well, I was born in Fremantle, and those days was a, what they call a low socio-demographic. We had no money. Uh, born in Beaconsfield, actually. And then we moved, when my father came back from the war, we had a war service home in East Fremantle. We had no money. Um, and I grew up not knowing what I wanted to be, but I surely knew what I did not want to be, and that was where I come from. Not that it was bad, but it wasn't what I wanted to do. And I look back on that, and that was a motivation. It wasn't a negative, it was a positive. And um, I've always used that, and I've never forgotten where I've come from. I've never forgotten my roots. Um, and I like to think that I'm proud inside and humble outside. Um, but anyway, I can carry on, but you can ask me a few more questions and I can elaborate. Um, I've, whatever I've achieved, I've achieved through a series of situations that have occurred to me over the years. I may, we may not have time to go through all of those, but um, I've got a couple I'll share with you when you're ready. Modest upbringing, educated at Christian Brothers College in Fremantle. You got your leaving certificate. If I'm not mistaken, your father was a bus driver, your mother was a bus conductor at, at some point. Where did you see your life going in those early years? You've previously said I wasn't the smartest person, but I was the hardest worker. Where did that work ethic come from? I don't know. I used to go to school on uh, Saturday mornings in my final year, year 12. We used to do Saturday mornings then. And I'd have finished my homework on Friday nights for the other guys who'd been to the movies or whatever, and they were mitching and bitching and moaning about having to still do their homework, and I'd finished it. So I had a very good work ethic. I, I remember <clears throat> at about, oh, I don't know, about that age, we'd go to a movie on Friday night. There were a couple of movies of that thing, interval at half time, and my mates would be there and they'd go, because everybody smoked in those days. My mother smoked and my father smoked. And, you know, I thought to myself, why are they doing that? To be grown up, to be sophisticated, to be part of that. And I thought, there's got to be a better way of doing that. So I've had two puffs of a cigarette in my life. That's just one example. I think at a young age, I dared to be different. I wasn't... I wasn't afraid, I wasn't too outgoing, um, but I always had a, an opinion and I always stated it and I stuck with it. I was not at all influenced by other people or what other people did. And I think that was very important to me because um, I realised as I went through life, the world is full of pretty ordinary people. And without being arrogant, I'm not arrogant, uh, it's not hard to be different, you know. So I think that, but where it came from, I, I can't be sure. Now, when I left school, we needed to get a, I needed to get a job, we needed the money. 
And my grandmother, who was the matriarch of the family down in Fremantle, said, get yourself down to the Fremantle Harbour and Lights Department. You never get sacked from the Fremantle Harbour and Lights Department. All about job security. Well, I didn't know what I wanted to be, but I certainly didn't want to be in the bloody Harbour, Fremantle Harbour and Lights Department. I tried to be an accountant. I couldn't add up. This was before computers, I guess. I don't know. Believe it or not, for four days I would have been a school teacher. I would have been retired now for 20 years, sitting at home waiting to die. I rang them up and they said, how many subjects did you get in your leaving, final year? I said, I got all of my eight. And they said, oh, you'd have been, certainly, but you're four days too late. Whoosh. So then I, I, I saw, then I, I got a job in Canberra with the Department of External Territories uh, as a personnel cadet. So at the age of 17 years and two months, a shallow, unsophisticated, a bit shy and nervous youth, I got on the DC-3 and after I landed about six times, I got into Canberra one Sunday afternoon, four o'clock, nobody to meet me. I didn't know where I was staying. I didn't know where I was living. I sat on the bench and I cried. I think that was the last time I cried. That's a long time ago. If I'd have enough money, I'd have got on the plane and gone back, but I didn't, so I was stuck. So that's where I started, if you like, my working career in Canberra. You were 17 when you went to Canberra, then you moved down to Melbourne and to Pakapunyal in particular. National service was in. 18 months national service? Well, yes, but uh, three months, they didn't know where to put me in, the, somewhere in New South Wales or Pakapunyal in, in Victoria. So they sent me to Paka, Pakapunyal. Uh, and uh, I went in a boy and three months later I came out a man. Yeah, so anyway, uh, I hated Canberra. It was bitterly cold and, you know, and anyway, I, I did part-time university. I did psychology and political science and halfway through the next year I tossed it in and I came back to Perth, <clears throat> again, desperately needing a job. And uh, I saw a job advertised, wanted Clark Atwood Motors, Stirling Street, Perth. I went up there, there's this lovely showroom with Vauxhall cars and I'm in awe. Uh, and I said, I'm here for the job. And they said, son, it's not here, it's 300 yards down the road in a broken down ex-horse stable where they had a panel shop. And in those days, they used to bang and crash. Here, you have an accident now, you take off the guard, you put a new one. And in those days, they bang. So it was noisy and dusty and dirty. Came December and jobs came a bit easier to get. And I got offered a job as an assistant accountant in a white goods firm. And when I told that was I was leaving, they said, oh, sales manager came down and said, I think you've got a bit of potential. How would you like to be a sales cadet? And wow, the salesman had three button suits and drove around in new cars. I said, this is for me. Well, I never got a three button suit and I never got a, a brand new car. But I was on the floor and I used to handle inquiries when people came in. I'd get the new cards ready for sale and deliver them. But I used to creep into the used car manager's office at lunchtime and sit in the Triumph Vanguards and the Ford Pilots and that. And I loved it. And I don't know why, but that's when I got a passion for used cars. 
and they'll call them pre-owned cars, but that's when it all started, yeah, at the age of about 19. And if I recall correctly, 1969, you passed a site that was coming up for auction. What happened next? Well, after Atwoods, I worked for a company called um, Atwood Motors. I worked for a chap called Peter Young, and we started uh, in Fremantle. <clears throat> and then we had a company called Motorama, a large used car operation, <clears throat> which I ran for a number of years. But at the age of 32, I'd only just gotten married, didn't have any money. I used to wake up in the morning with a knot in my gut, regularly, three, four o'clock. Had all the tests, there was nothing wrong, but the knot in my gut persisted. <clears throat> and then one day I saw advertised for sale a service station site, 196 Albany Highway, Victoria Park. We're sitting in it. I didn't go to the auction because I had no money. I rang up this morning, rather perversely hoping the agent had told me it had sold, just to get the monkey off my back. It hadn't. So I didn't sleep too well that next night. I rang them up next morning, made them an offer they couldn't possibly accept. I forget the figure now. 5%, I think, in 30 days, another 5% deposit, another 30 days, balance in 90 days. Fairy tale terms. They couldn't possibly accept that. So I slept well that night. Well, bugger me, they rang me the next day and said, it's yours. And I had to walk up and down to George's Terrace, which you could in those days, and borrow 120% of what I needed. Now, the minute I overwhelmed my with debt, totally submerged myself financially, made the biggest, one of the very biggest decisions I've ever made in my life, and that, not, that pain in my belly went away. And that was my belly, my body telling me, John, you're not destined to work for other people. And I learnt then, your body is your best doctor. You listen to it, because it talks to you. So I started. I came out here, borrowing 120% of what I needed. The builder was slow in getting the yard up. I had to make the first payment before I sold the car. I went broke, nearly went broke before I started. Fortunately, through a mutual contact, I was able to get a lease on a yard in 6th Avenue and Beaufort Street. Went out there with the salesman, worked our backsides off, uh, bought the cars, cleaned the cars, whatever. I sold 90, we sold 92 cars in one month, and that generated enough cash flow to get me going here. And 54 years later, still in the same site, albeit expanded massively across every corner here. What's the key to success in retail? I think it's true in almost any business. Passion. You've really got to love what you do. And if you love what you do, you never have to go to work. Um, I think making the decision, it's not for everybody to go and work for yourself. And that's a major decision. Um, passion, focus, discipline. Um, a lot of people come to me for advice about what it takes to run a successful business. <clears throat> and they say, John, they say, can you encapsulate that in a few words? Well, it's almost impossible. But if I had to nominate two words, what it takes to run a successful business, amongst a lot of others, 
is just simply be there. Now, when I went to school, there was a, a, a theory of Malthus, M-A-L-T-H-U-S, forget all that. What it meant was the law of diminishing returns. And I made a mistake. I nearly went under about 10 years after I started. I expanded too quickly and I delegated too loosely. I took my eye off the ball. And I'll never, ever do that again. So, be focused, be passionate, hard work. You can't beat that. I've got a, I was described in the paper recently as having an epic work ethic. Well, their words, they're, they're their words, not mine, but I'm not arguing with them. I, I mean, I work, is, is this work, incidentally? Huh? Working to me is carrying a load of bricks up a ladder or digging a hole. This is not work but I come in six and a half days a week. I just love what I do. Not for everybody. I don't decry other people. I mean, I talk to people who are retired and ask them what they do. They keep bees, they raise pigeons. They <laughs> I don't play golf, I don't play bridge, I haven't got a property at Mogul River, I haven't got a boat, I don't fly a plane. You know, so I just, I'm very fortunate. But the biggest possible the, the best advice I can give anybody in business is be there and lead by example. It's not do as I say, it's do as I do. Prior to you arriving, I just had my lunch and it was a, um, a protein drink. You see here, that's my lunch table. I had somebody come in six months ago and he said, John, uh, he said, we should go out for lunch one day. I said, oh. I said to Jasmine, my PA, I said, Jasmine, how long have you been with me? She said, nine years. I said, Jasmine, in all of that time, how many times have I been out for lunch? Look, what was you out for lunch? You drive for 15, 20 minutes, you've got to park, you have a glass or two of wine, you've got to wait for your food, you might as well go home to bed and have a sleep. So, uh, no, I just, <laughs> to me, now look, I say to a lot of people, my staff particularly, How'd you like being known as extraordinary? Oh, John. Extraordinary? Not me. Extraordinary salesman, extraordinary businessman, extraordinary scientist, extraordinary runner, sportsman. Extraordinary is two words. What you've got to do to be extraordinary is to do the extra things that ordinary people don't do. It's not hard, you know, is it? Huh? I spoke to all of my technicians. I've got 540 staff. A lot of them are what we call in fixed operations, panel beaters, spray painters, mechanics, mobile service drivers. And I was talking about them. I was talking about extraordinary. And I said, if you start work at eight, everybody starts at eight, why wouldn't you be there at 7.45? Um, you've got a job to do, you finish at five. You've got a job to do when you finish at four. Don't just wait around until five o'clock. Go back to your boss and say, I'm finished, give me another job. Um, why wouldn't you? Used cars, new cars, extended warranties, servicing, mobile tyre servicing, all these separate divisions now. How have you known when to expand and offer something? Is it driven by customers? Yeah, by demand and by seeing a niche in the market. We've got Yes Loans, I don't know whether you know them. We advertise... Uh, for finance. We, we, we try harder to get finance more often. I've got We Want Your Wheels, where we advertise. I've got a guy who says, We Want Your Wheels, we'll buy this, any make, any model. Any, uh, 
And, uh, you know, I spend uh, about two and a half million dollars on advertising a year, predominantly on TV. Um, why do I, and we've expanded recently and we've gone up to Wellsville, Wangara, and it's where the demand is and, uh, and, and it's taking advantage of opportunities. You know, I, I'm never going to expand too quickly again and I'm never going to delegate too loosely. But having said that, it would be remiss of me not to pick up an opportunity as it comes up. And uh, are we still looking for opportunities? Yes. Uh, look, success in business is like climbing a ladder. <clears throat> it's rung after rung after rung. You never get to the top. There's always another rung. It doesn't matter how comfortable you get, there's another rung. And it gets to the point, certainly in my case, it's not about, it's just not, it is not just about money. It's not that. It's, it's achievement, it's getting, you know. And, you know, when it comes to my opposition, I want to annihilate them, <laughs> you know, in a nice way. I do, you know, I want to be. So, somebody gave me once a definition of ambition. I've never forgotten. It's not my definition, it's theirs. Ambition is continuing unabated dissatisfaction. You never, ever get totally satisfied. Managing economic cycles, you've seen it all in 50, 60 plus years of business, boom, bust, GFCs, recessions. How have you managed to keep the business on a, on a level peg for so long? It's been hard. You know, we were paying 19, 20% at one stage. Uh, well, you've got to tighten your belt. You've got to make some tough decisions. Unfortunately, you've got to drop some people off that you don't want to drop off. COVID was another one. Uh, I've just about put all of those people back on again, but I had to drop off some good people who'd been with me a long time. Uh, look, one thing about being at the top, you've got to make some tough decisions. You can't be weak or wishy-washy, and you've got to be positive. Um, that's hard. That is hard. But the buck stops here, you know, someone's got to make the decision. So when, when things like that happen, you've got to make the hard decisions and you've got to adjust. And it generally means you've got to cut your expenses, you've got to reduce in many other areas, you've got to withdraw and hold back until it'll always open up again. So you don't, you've got to be careful you still keep the integral parts of the business going. You don't chop that off, but you've got to cut off any fat or any freedom you may have. And we all have that. We build that up over the good years. You've got to do a bit of this and a bit of that, but you keep that there. Excellence in customer service, as you know, one of the toughest industries would be retail car sales in terms of building trust. How have you been able to build trust and integrity in the business? Oh, I'm very old school and I'm very direct. I'm an icon in the business. Why? Number one, because of my massive advertising, but it's backed up. It's backed up. Um, I'm old school. I don't tell people necessarily what they want to hear. I tell them the truth. And I'm very direct. I'll ask somebody something. Do you know, will that car be ready by five o'clock next Friday? Oh, John, I believe so. I was told so. I understand so. That's crap. 
It's either yes or no, or I don't know. I'll find out, John, and come back to you in 10 minutes. Is that all right? Too many people prevaricate. They can't, you know, and uh, I'm very direct. Um, what was the question again, Tommy? <laughs> Building trust. Building trust. Um, I'm very honest, and I genuinely, this is from the heart, I generally like to put a smile on the face of my customers. Now, it's not easy. A lot of them are very difficult. Some of them are impossible. Now, there's one here now. I won't ring it in front of you. I survey all of my clients. This is a survey form. The guy's written here. Uh, yes, I need to speak to John Hughes personally because after buying four cars all these years, uh, I am still not dealing with the same deal of respect or whatever. I'll ring him. That's what I do. And I, I, I say, I'm disappointed if he disappointed you. How can I help? The phone rings. I take all of my own phone calls. Nobody, nobody gets vetted. Could be Billy the blacksmith, he comes through. I had a phone call the other day. Mr. Hughes, I've got an MZ, I've got a problem with it. Older woman. Yes, Mrs. Uh, so-and-so. Yes, she said, I ordered, I ordered a bottle of yellow paint. I wanted to touch up my car. And she said, on the label, it said vivid yellow. I put it on the car and it doesn't match. And my car is vivid yellow. Mr. Hughes, what are you going to do about it? <laughs> this is not untypical. Now, am I wasting my time? No, no. You know, you'd be amazed at the trivia I get involved with. <laughs> but word of mouth, reputation. Um, Oh, 60% of my sales are repeat. I get people coming in, making me feel old, unfortunately. Mr. Hughes, I bought a car from you in 1970. <laughs> but they talk, you know. Uh, a friend of mine bought a car from me. They had an issue, Mr. Hughes, you fixed it. Oh, That's why I've come to see you. So, yeah, I've, uh, it's, um, it's making a commitment and sticking to it. Now, I've got a, a phrase I use a lot. Choose your dealer before you choose your car. My reputation is your guarantee. I want your business, I'm prepared to pay for it. Absolutely, I go on TV, I say, is it true? Absolutely. And I'm running a, on the front page of the West Australia next Saturday. On the bottom there's a little strip. I just have my photo, I'll have absolutely, and I'll have my website. That's all. Nothing to do with cars, just absolutely. Huh? 500 staff, what do you look for? What are the qualities that, that your team members need to have? Are you talking salespeople or are you talking overall? Overall. The desire to want the job. The desire to want the job. You know, I'd love somebody to come in and say, Mr. Hughes, I want this job so much I'll kill for it. You've got it. You know, no argument. And I'm pretty good judge with people. I, I worked it out the other day. I think, face to face like this, and I'm not exaggerating. I've probably spoken to a million people. I'm not exaggerating. And I'm pretty good now judging people. I can pick them. Um, uh, body language, um, the way they look you in the eye, they shake hands, I want a firm handshake, I want a, none of this. Um, Standing up nice and straight, 
Mr. Yes, I'd like to work for you. Why? Because I understand your reputation and I'm a good operator and I'm a hard worker. They're, they're 90% there. How has the landscape for business changed over 50 years, not just for your business, but business in general? more competitive, far more competitive. Than the, see my internet, computer? It's on the floor in the corner there. See my phone? I'm off school. The internet has changed a lot of things. And there's a lot more competition around. Uh, buyers, consumers are a lot more sophisticated. They're a lot better educated. They're more demanding. Cars are getting far more highly engineered than they ever were. I mean, I get multiple complaints about infotainment screens and lights coming on. I mean, five years ago, we never had them, you know. And I get people complain. Excuse, I bought a car from you, I got a light in the dash. You've sold me a lemon, I refuse to drive it. It's in the driveway, I want you to pick it up and I want my money back. We take it into the workshop, the light in the dash says, tire pressure light. So uh, that's what we're faced with, and there's a lot, cars are a lot more complicated, there are more things going wrong. And uh, I, I handle a lot of complaints, a lot of complaints. We're selling, as you say, 2,000 cars a month, and they're not all perfect. People say to me, obviously, I bought a brand new car, because you don't get problems with brand new cars, and I've got a problem. I said, well, <laughs> if the manufacturer thought their cars were perfect, why do you think they supplied a warranty? You know? So it's far more challenging and you've got to be far more uh, involved. You've got, to be, you've got to be more involved. You've got to be more dedicated. You've got to roll with the punches a lot more and it's more costly to do business. You've got to give away more to keep people happy. Uh, yep. Your proudest achievements? Making the decision to go into business for myself. That was the hardest decision I have ever made. Next proudest one, <clears throat> um, making the decision to expand at my age. <clears throat> uh, third proudest, oh, it's not even third, it might even be second. The 540 people I employ, the amount of payroll tax I pay to employ those people, but they're all got a job and they've all got a stable job, and they've all got leadership, and they're all, and they are, they're all proud to be associated with the John Hughes brand. That's probably what I'm proudest of, the John Hughes brand. is synonymous with honesty and quality and work ethic. That's what it is. Australia as a country, what do we do well and what do we need to improve in your eyes? I know you've mentioned previously that you would have been a politician potentially in another life. What would you change? I think we've got too many levels of government. That's one. You know, there's a hundred senators in America. We've got a hundred in Australia. Um, too many levels of bureaucracy. I'm not sure that we need local councils. Um, it's impossible, you'll never get it. I'd like to see political parties, those in power and those that are the majority against them, working more closely together instead of bitching and sniping. It will never happen. It won't happen because they're all trying to win votes. 
Western Australia and Perth, obviously that's changed enormously over 50 or 60 years. What have you observed? Immigration. I'm a great believer in immigration, getting ethnic communities, and I guess it's the same right throughout Australia, but we've got a wide variety of ethnic communities <clears throat> in Western Australia, and they've added richness to the culture. They provide, you know, when I was growing up, we were very basic Aussies, you know, fish and chips and steak and eggs and that sort of thing. Now, you go along this trip here in Victoria Park, you've got every nationality of every type of restaurant you'd ever want. My wife is Filipino. Uh, there's a lot of Filipinos, a lot of ethnic groups. So I'm, I'm very pleased with what's happening with WA with immigration and, and interracial uh, marriage and activity. Um, Western Australians are becoming a lot more sophisticated. We're getting more diverse. We're getting better educated, just like what people might say about young people today. We've got a 10-year-old granddaughter. My God. Oh, frightening. Not just her, a lot of them are that age. Frightening. You know, how smart and clever they are. Streets ahead of where I was in those days. I wonder about the future with all these bright young people growing up. They're going to be very demanding. I was going to, you know, some of them are a hell of a lot smarter than their teachers. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm very, uh, very pleased with what I'm seeing in WA and I'm very proud of it. Challenging moments or moments of difficulty, how have you been able to overcome them? I'm very strongly in control of my emotions. I never sweat the small stuff. I put my head on the, I've had cancer, I've got cancer. I'll die with it, I won't die because of it, hopefully. I put my head on the pillow at night and I think of all the things I haven't got. Parkinson's, dementia, motor neurone disease, problem with my back, heart, liver, kidney problems, knee problems, hip problems, none of that. I think how wonderful that is. Boom, off I go to sleep. So uh, I'm always very positive. Um, I make quick decisions, not, not necessarily always the right one, but I never procrastinate. I, you know the definition of a camel? It's a horse designed by a committee. Um, and I love being pretty much a one-man band. I mean, I've got good people, don't, don't, I'm not decrying that. I've got very good people around me and I've got succession plans in place. I've got my daughter who's very, intelligent and very uh, much a part of the business and I've got some other good people. But I'm the one and the buck stops here and people come to me with an issue, they go away with an answer. And I say to them, don't come to me just with the problem, come to me with the solution to the problem. So, yeah, I'm, uh, and I, I'm at peace with myself, you know, I was, there's nothing that, there's nothing I'm going to see, do, hear, whatever that I haven't done a hundred times before. I can fix a problem before it even starts. It's wonderful. It is. It's fabulous. I want to ask you about the next evolution of the company. I'm sure you've got many 
great years ahead of you, but what's the legacy? What's your legacy? And then who's going to carry that legacy forward? Well, I've got a daughter who's very intelligent. She's an MBA and a, got a law degree. She'll be the managing director. My son is in uh, America. He's not part of the equation because of his location. Um, I'll be appointing a CEO in the next couple of years. My biggest quandary is I'm the CEO and I'm not going anywhere. So I put you in as the CEO. What are you going to do, sit there all day and stare at me and listen to what I do or what I say? You know, you'll be treading on my toes, I'll be treading on your toes. But I've got to do something. Um, uh, and I've got some very good young people who are knocking on my door who want to take, working with me now, who want to take over. My um, challenge will be which is the better one of those that are there and my daughter will be involved in that. But I will, <coughs> within the next <coughs> 12 or 18 months, <coughs> have an, uh, a budding CEO in place uh, for when I'm no longer around. But uh, they'll carry me out of here in a six-foot case, I'll tell you. John Hughes, founder of John Hughes Group. Thanks for your time. Thank you. I enjoyed that. Thank you.